Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Pawinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. All right, so welcome back to the Know Thyself Podcast. I'm Eddie Manteca. I'm here with Daniel Pawinski. Hello. And, uh, you know, we're just going to continue discussing um, further into occultism, but more specifically, um, the brain. And this episode will probably um, cover different aspects of the brain and and what um, the difference between ancient psychology and modern psychology really is and, you know, how people really determine um, personality types and and other, uh, you know, unknown aspects of our personalities then and what we do now. And uh, I will stop talking and let Daniel take it away from here. So, yeah, let's talk about the difference between um, ancient psychology and modern psychology. What were the ancients really practicing? What were they doing? You know, that's that's a... Obviously, a great question, and it kind of continues right with what we were talking about on the last podcast um, with occultism, because really what we're going to be talking about today is the brain, consciousness, and really um, kind of how it plays into what we call the Holy Trinity, um, and that's our thought, our emotions, and our actions. And one thing that we really kind of want to identify right off the bat is, I don't want to say the simplicity simplicity that it kind of came with ancient psychology. But again, and we overuse this word a lot on this podcast, but the applicable nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it's going to be is it's going to be, they really broke the brain down into a much easier way for us to understand it. Um, and that's one aspect that we really kind of want to almost stress. Um, we really kind of get bogged down in psychology today. Um, with complexities. You know, um, we've talked before, I've been a school teacher, and um, it's a really joy to teach a psychology class, and it's a really drag to teach an AP psychology course. Hmm. Um, Main reason being is in the AP psychology course, it's like, you know, you have to, you're teaching to a test, and the test needs you to cover all of these topics. And some of the thing is breaking down is every part of the brain. Um, now that's really important if you're going into like a doctorate or even a master's in psychology, or maybe even getting your degree in it, your bachelor's degree. Um, but it's a little much for somebody who's taking a psych 101 course. Um, we spoke earlier about this. Um, you know, there's almost this overkill that happens when we approach psychology, especially at the collegiate level now, where they almost teach you every aspect of the brain and they're teaching you every little compartment and what it does, the name, the Latin name for it. And it can get a little overwhelming for the individual to where they almost give up on the subject. Right. So what the ancient psychology really is going to do is break it down into almost digestible chunks. And how does it relate to human consciousness? And how do you actually, by you learning these components, how do you put them into motion to better yourself and to better understand yourself? Um, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, and that's something that we really kind of want to almost kind of go over because there's a lot of information out there that, um, 
we have this word called obfuscation. And that's when you make something overly complex so an individual doesn't even approach the subject. You can see this in a lot of different subjects. We see it in psychology. Um, it's the same reason why if you turn on like a 24-7 economy show, they'll speak about terms that are just way over your head. Um, now, is the economy complex, like the global economy? Yeah, it is complex, but it's not as complex as they almost position it because they almost keep it where you don't even want to approach it and to understand it. Um, and psychology is the same way. They've almost obfuscated the truth and they made it so complex that it's only for a small network of people that we really don't even approach the subject. So we have most individuals now don't even attempt to approach the subject of the brain. So that's really why we're going to kind of use modern psychology and the findings that we have, because there's amazing findings that come from it, but really to build this build off the information of know thyself, we're going to really focus in on this ancient psychology. And the ancient psychology really is looking at a triune brain. And that's a three-leveled brain. And it starts almost from the base and it goes all the way to the top. And that's kind of what we're going to be focusing right. and speaking about today. And how they applied it too, right? How they really use it to their daily benefit. Which how they use it to their daily benefit. We don't necessarily do anymore. Or no, and again, it's one of those things that we're just not really aware of this information. Um, right. So, and we'll kind of speak about where this information has been presented to us. And that was another thing, and we'll kind of get this covered once we go through this topic. But um, it wasn't really just presented in textbooks like we would see psychology today. It's going to be hidden in a lot of different stories and plays. And really, when you start looking at the great literature works of history, you see that most of these are actually a psychological essay. Hmm. Um, again, we talked about the mystery schools and the passing down of esoteric information, but that's really what we're going to see. So really what we're kind of trying to do today is really just turn on that lens so we can kind of start deciphering the the meaning that comes from these stories because – Again, everything is like an iceberg. So there's always a deeper understanding. And to understand something, you need to stand under it to really get the root of that information. And that's what we're really going to be kind of focusing on today. Um, so again, we're going to kind of continue that process of expanding our consciousness to really be aware of these esoteric principles. Because again, they're not just going to show themselves in an esoteric book. They're going to show themselves in art. They're going to show themselves in mathematics. Every subject has these principles in there. It's just when you open your consciousness to see them, then you're going to be aware of them. So again, this whole understanding of know thyself and why we did this podcast is really just the expansion of consciousness. So imagine if consciousness is like our headlamp mm -hmm. and the more we are aware of this, the brighter our light is. And the more we turn ourselves off to consciousness, we're walking in the dark. Right. So we're really just, really just trying to light that path, that lamp so we can become more aware of our surroundings, the patterns in our lives, not only on the external world, but also on the internal world. And that's kind of like that. what we're going to be kind of looking at today. So, um, yes, very exciting, um, very exciting subject. I think the best thing about this subject is where we'll start to find this subject because we'll give a couple examples today and then you'll be reading, you'll, you'll be kind of watching movies later on or maybe reading a book and it will just like click into your head and be like, oh, I know what's happening here. There's a reason why a female character came in right now, or there's a reason why that character is training that person. This is all really the psychology of the self. Um, and that's why these really important stories that we're going to break down are so impactful. And they have such a meaning to people. 
it's really beyond what we surface kind of understand them are. It's really because it's the story of you that you're watching play out on the screen. Right. And that's really what's pulling you into these stories. And we'll kind of break down some of those later on as we go through these pieces. Um, so yeah, we'll kind of go from there. Excellent. Yeah, no, I know you mentioned there's the three layers that we'll be covering and, and, you know, our complex, you know, I can guess is obviously the reptilian side, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but like, let's, let's take a dive into, into these, these, these foundations, I guess you should say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for anybody who's listening, it's almost easy to almost imagine like it's a building block. When I'm explaining this in the classroom, I always just do three circles and I put them on top of each other um, because this is really a building module that we're kind of creating here. So the R-complex, that is um, the oldest part of our brain. It's also the simplest part of the brain and it's the lowest part of the brain, like we just said. And the R-complex, and, and again, it's not so much an importance thing, but the R-complex is going to be the controller of anything like any kind of physical activity. So the moving of our hands, the speaking that we're having right now, the secretion of our blood, all the things even that we're not subconsciously doing, right? Like digesting our meals from earlier, that's all going to be involved with the R-complex. So you need the R-complex to survive. Um, it's your instincts mm -hmm. as well. Um, so anything that you need to survive in the physical world, the world of the five senses is going to really kind of come from that R-complex. So imagine again, this is the, the first circle, the bottom circle of this kind of tri- triad that we're building right now or the trinity and this is um again this is the lowest part and this is really what's just going to kind of control the human body and make us survive in the physical environment um and one other aspect like we said with instinct this is also going to be what shoots in the mode of your fight or flight i guess you can call so when we were not too long ago in the distance history, when humans were living in the jungle, um, and it was before like modern societies or any kind of society whatsoever, we had a lot more different dangers than we really experience now. So when your body actually goes into fight or flight mode is when you feel like you're in any kind of danger, or there's any kind of threat to you. So what that happens there is your body immediately will go in this instinct, and you're going to kind of size up whatever the threat is, and you're either going to fight it or you're going to flight, you're going to run. In this process, your R-complex is actually going to pump blood away from your heart and your brain, and it's going to pump blood into your arms and your legs, which is super important for survival if you're ever in a dire, dire, like a dire survivor mode. Um, because oxidated blood to the legs and to the arms is going to help you flight, run away, or it's going to help you fight. It's going to give you more energy to those limbs mm -hmm. to be able to really um, ensure your survival. Right. So it's super, super important. Um, problem that we're going to kind of come in with the R complex or really what the modern man has to kind of come up with the R complex is we don't really live in the jungle anymore. So the threats are a little different. And what we're going to see is the threats are still there. Um but they're kind of coming in at different times. And we're going to really see the effect of what happens when we get stuck in those threads. Mm. So the R complex now is going to be more of the stress we have from our work life, um, competition at work, um, traffic, keeping up with the neighbors, fear of any sort. 
This is all going to shoot into the R complex. Um, and why it's important for us to know when it comes to self-study is from that main point that it actually pumps blood away from your brain and your heart and it goes into your limbs. So you're not actually thinking 100% clearly right. when you're in your R complex as you're in survival mode. Right. Um, so this is really, really important when we really start building on top of this later. Uh, so again, the R complex is so important for just the, the physical locomotion of us. Um, but it's something we need to be aware of because its effects can affect our consciousness. And a lot of times we're making, we might make negative decisions might be because we're actually in that R complex, that survival mode. Um, and we're going to talk about why society almost tries to keep us in that survival mode right. um, and the effects of it, and even the health effects of it and the effects that it has on the brain. Um, but I mean, even, you know, we see this a lot in work. Um, prior to this, I was in the restaurant industry. Um, and, you know, even talking to the, the suppliers of our food, I had like a great rep that I was really close with. Um, he worked for a certain company. And I remember having this conversation with him. He was always in this stressful mindset because one, not only is there competition, there's a bunch of other people trying to sell restaurants food. Within his company, he also had individuals, the salesmen didn't work together. So the salesman from the same company could come into me and quote me, you know, food for tortillas or cheese, and he could try to undercut the individual that was selling to me. So interesting. Right. So they're always in this stress mode. Um, now anybody can start thinking about their jobs. Majority of our jobs now are very stress-based. Um, there's a few jobs that aren't, but for the most part, there's a very much a competition aspect that kind of comes in. Um, we also see competition with like, you know, we were talking earlier about um, the dating and even like mating and meeting new people, right? There's that competition that comes in. Like you feel it when you even become insulted by somebody or yeah, so when you, you know. feel challenged by someone who exactly. was trying to size you up based on their standards of, of, of sizing you up. So you, you get caught off guard and then you realize like, you know, right. why is my pump, my blood pumping? So why is it pumping so much? So hard right now. And what am I, right. What have I been faced with? You know, like I right. have to defend myself now. I don't understand this. Right. You know? I was just having this like nice beer on this patio. And now I'm like literally in my mind, even though I'm in this, nice area. Like I'm thinking I have to maybe like fight somebody, which is yeah. just so crazy when you really step away from it. And you're like, you think about it later and that adrenaline isn't dripping and you're like, I would have looked like a maniac. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, so we really kind of want to look at that in the R complex and what that control is. And we'll kind of come back to what that kind of shows why we really want to do that. Um, and so really what we're kind of looking at is, um, just like its effect, um, even the color that sets this um, this one in motion. So like the color red, the color red activates the art complex. This is why when you're ever watching the news and we're ever in like a war or there's and ever, ever talking about terrorism or any kind of threat that's coming from beyond our border, they're going to show you that art complex mm -hmm. because it, again, it gets, it's going to take that logic away. It's going to take the higher order thinking. It's just going to go into survival mode. So it's going to, you're almost going to fall right into their playing game. Um, red just gets everything going. It also helps with digestion because it gets all that stuff moving. That's why fast food restaurants love the color red. McDonald's didn't choose red and yellow as an accident. They do that because it actually helps you digest and gets, your, gets you almost hungry. 
because it gets your like it's your whole digestive tract moving. Look at all the fast food restaurants; they love the color red. Um, it's huge. It's huge with that. So colors have a really big aspect, and we'll get into the whole esoteric understanding of colors. But really, the what we want to talk about with the R complex is just really its effect on our emotions um, and really kind of what it represents. So again, it's so important. Without the R complex, we can't survive. Without an uncontrolled R complex, though, we can get ourselves into trouble. So that's kind of the base aspect of the brain. So moving on from that aspect, we're going to go into the limbic system. Right. Right. So this would be that. So say we're, again, we're looking at that diagram that we're creating. That first aspect is the R complex. And then we're moving up to that second one. And that's going to be the limbic system. It's the limbic system. Yeah. And so the limbic system is what we're going to consider the mammal brain. And the limbic system has to do with memory. It has to do with a lot of different things. Um, But the main focus that the ancients were looking at and what we're going to kind of focus on when it comes to application is the processing of emotions. Um, So that's why we call it the mammal brain. And that's why the R complex we call the reptilian brain. So reptiles, reptilians, they can't process emotion. Um, That's why they're cold-blooded. I mean, not... Exactly. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. Um, So, like, that's why um, you bring that up. That's that's such an important thing. You hear that on the news, like, this murder was done in cold blood. It's because the emotion, it was done in the R complex. The person disassociated themselves with their emotions to actually make this murder happen. Um, So, that's kind of why you you would hear that term, cold-blooded. Right. Um, So, that limbic system, the mammal system, the comparison there is good to kind of think about. Say you have a pet snake. Um, you can yell at that pet snake and it's not going to, it's not going to crowd. It's not going to get upset with you. It's just going to look at you like you're crazy. You could yell at that snake all day, right? Now, if you get your dog and you yell at your dog, it's going to whimper and go into the corner. Um, that's because the dog is a mammal and the dog can actually process emotions. A reptile can't process emotions. So really we're almost even looking at through the the building of this brain, we're almost seeing the evolutionary path that humans took to get to the point where we're at. Um, So mammals have a limbic system. So humans have a limbic system and we don't even have the biggest limbic system. The biggest limbic system I want to say belongs to the killer whale. They can process emotions much greater than we can. Dolphins have an insane, a huge limbic system. Um, But humans do have that. And what that really is going to do is it's just going to regulate the chemical interactions um, that go on in our brain that we process as emotions. So in the esoteric understanding, this is really what's going to be the feminine aspect of the triune brain. So that's the mm. three-level brain, and that's the feminine aspect. And one thing we really want to, um, and we'll, we'll go through a whole episode of this, um, but the importance of the law of gender. And gender is going to be very important because of what it symbolic- symbolically means. Um, male aspects and female aspects. Very important when it comes down to breaking down esoteric understanding. Um, and, we'll, and we're going to really kind of refer to things with the feminine aspect and the masculine aspect. And we'll kind of break those up a little bit more. Um, and we'll do a whole podcast just on that breakdown. But it's so important to understand not only the makeup of ourselves, but also the universe, understanding those two esoteric principles right. and how they work with each other and how they work within us um, and how we have both of those principles within us. And I think that's a lot of the confusion that's happening now is people um, don't realize that you have both aspects inside you. And it's 
I think it causes a lot of confusion. And once we kind of understand what these principles are and how to use them, there's a lot of clarity in not only ourselves, but the makeup of the universe and how everything kind of works. So um, really this, these emotions, um, this female part of the brain is really just going to give us the process of, like we said, processing the emotions. And that's really important. And the reason why it's given that feminine aspect is it's kind of the nurturing side of yourself. Um, and that's really why it's going to give that. So we have the R complex is that bottom square, that bottom circle. That's going to be your emotion. The next level up is going to be your limbic system. And that's going to be how we process our emotions. And then the next aspect up that's going to be above that is going to be the neocortex. Right. Um, and that's really um, when people start thinking about like esoteric breaking down of the brain. That's really where you kind of see within the neocortex, that's where you're going to see the breaking down of the two hemispheres of the brain. Okay. So are you aware, have you ever seen like a, a breakdown of the brain where there's like the left side and the right side? Right. Right. So that's what we're kind of talking about. So the neocortex on the top is going to be that that operating system of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And even within them, the left hemisphere is considered your masculine and the esoteric principles and the right hemisphere is going to be the feminine. So you have the law of gender is going to play itself twice in this aspect. It's going to play it both in the limbic system and the neocortex with the breaking up of the two hemispheres. So this, the, um, the neocortex is really what's going to make us human. So this is analytical thought. This is the ability to construct history, language. Um, this is going to be what makes us be able to create music uh, and almost see like a whole holistic view of the universe. This is where science is going to come from. This is where math is going to come from. It's all going to happen in this neocortex. So this is, and this again is going to fill up that third circle that we're kind of creating. So that diagram, now we have the R complex, the limbic system and the neocortex. Um, so we really kind of see the triune brain and it's three different levels. Now, again, the um, those parts do do different things, but symbolically, this is why we want to right. study it like it is. Now, do you think people are born with um, more or less of of these attributes, like in the limbic system? Like, say, someone is born more sensitive, but in, in speaking of the the layer above the limbic system being the neocortex, they're always lean more comfortably to their more sensitive side, which is why certain things won't be or won't come as easy to them when they are more analytical because Absolutely. they're not thinking like that. They're always, is that a thing? I mean, people yeah, can, they yeah. can lead, lean into one more than the other, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, and that's a great way to look at it. And um, that's the really the aware that um, almost, I don't want to call it an imbalance, because especially you have the stuff that you're just more likely inclined to as a child. I think as we get older, we can create an imbalance. But as a child, there's certain pathways that are already open up for you that you're a little bit more naturally inclined to. Mm. And that's really going to happen in those two hemispheres of the neocortex. Those R complex and the limbic system all receive information from that neocortex. And that's really why we wanted to build the brain like it is, because the neocortex is really um, the CEO of the brain. So you really want the neocortex making the decisions and then passing it down through the brain. You don't want the R-complex making ah, the decisions. Okay, you don't want so, the limbic system making the decisions. Yeah. You want to have it balanced from the top. From the top down. It's, from the top down. Um, and so that's really why, if you ever study classical philosophy, they've always said, and this is for anybody, if they, they didn't take anything from this podcast, you can always take this away. 
as I think, so I feel, so I act. And it's in that triune brain aspect. So as I think, as the thought comes into my mind, I feel and I see if I agree, how do, how do I emotionally feel with that thought? And if I agree with that thought, I act on that action. But never, never going against myself. I don't think a certain way and feel a certain way and act uh, opposite. That's not living a philosophical life. Mm. Um, and that's going to cause you pain and suffering because you're not living accordingly to what you think is true or what you are aligning to truth. So that neocortex is so, so important to be balanced and to be working as the CEO of the brain because when that neocortex is unbalanced, that's when we have the tyrant king take over. And that's why we have people with almost um, where their brain is almost seen as their enemy rather as their greatest tool. So you always want to, they always put in the righteous king, putting in that righteous king, and that's just the balanced neocortex. So it doesn't matter if whether you're more aligned to the right hemisphere when you're born or the left hemisphere, it's very important that you create that middle path connection in between those two hemispheres because you want both hemispheres lighting up because that's your gray matter. So when you really see like when they're doing brain scans of individuals and the brain's lighting up, you want that brain to light up on both sides equally. Um, you want to be able to do analytical thought as well as holistic thought. You want to do black and white and you want to be able to see in color. Um, so it's really important. So like that left side of your brain, very important. That's going to be logic, science, language, analytical thought. Um, mathematics. I, I always just say the color black and white because I kind of think of like binary code with mm -hmm. computers that 01, 01, 01. Um, this is a very, I would say in modern day society, this is what we focus on in education is that left side of the brain. This is why we have like in school, we teach to a test. And this is why you have to pass a certain test in math and you have to pass it in science. And that's why those are the big subjects we're worried about now. It's because we really become a dominant society that's concentrated on that left hemisphere of the brain. We're going to kind of talk about the problems of what happens when you get concentrated on one side of the brain, because it will actually almost shut down other aspects of your brain and you don't become a complete individual. Mm. Um, so that right side of your brain, that's going to be your holistic thought. Um, again, this is your feminine understanding, um, nurturing, but this is also what you would see, um, almost like your artistic expression. This is where art and music are going to come from. So it's really important that you keep those two brains balanced in between each other, um, because you really want to have that balance. And that's why in Buddhism, you have the middle path and that's what they're really talking about. The middle path is really operating and really lighting up both sides of the brain. So you're really focused on not becoming dominant in one side and riding that polarity down the middle. Um, and that's really, really important to the structure of your brain. Right. So um, we can even talk about what happens when um, we don't have that ruler of the brain. So when the neocortex is unbalanced and say somebody is very left side of that brain dominant, which is your male aspect, if they're very male dominant, very logical, analytical thought, um, they're not going to really see a holistic side. So this is what you're going to call almost like the five sense illusion. This is what you're going to, you have a lot of people who are intellectuals that are amazing intellectuals, but you wouldn't almost say they're intelligent. Mm. So intellectual is going to be 
the left side of your brain, intelligence is using intellectual intellect with genesis, which is creation. And that's using both sides of your brain. So we have extremely intellectual individuals today, um, amazing scientists in their fields. But one thing we have in science now is we have a lot of compartmentalization. So they are amazing in astrophysics, or they're amazing in this nanotechnology, right? But they don't have an ability to expand that nanotechnology to reach all the different subjects. right? So that's where intelligence comes in. That's when you start connecting. You're not compartmentalized into one subject, and you can actually tie together all the subjects into one. And that's really what you want to create. That's really what the geniuses are. That's why when you look at Renaissance people... When you look at our forefathers, that's why they did so many things. Yeah, they're very well-rounded individuals that, right. that don't shy away from both sides. Exactly. Utilizing both sides right. of those brains. So when we have that left side brain, um, what that's going to do is when you become left side dominant, it almost becomes what we call the controller and the slave aspect. So that left side dominant is going to be, like we said, five cents illusion. They're not going to see anything beyond this world. So that's where you, where you get this, like almost this atheist agenda that we have today of like, Oh, I'm going to live my life. And when I die, it's just my bones. There's nothing left after that. There's no life afterwards. Right. Um, so with that, they're able to, there's almost like a moral relativism that comes from that because they don't have any aspects to a holistic universal approach. Mm. My decisions don't really matter. It's all about me. And kind of staying alive. And that's where you kind of have these CEOs who can do harsh things that might cause men, like thousands of deaths to save money. Or like a car company being like, we're not going to recall that brake pad because, you know what, we're even though people are going to die, we're going to pay less in court fees than if we recall all those parts and replace them. So that's a left side dominant person. They have, they've literally cut out their emotions. Um, a lot of... You would almost say like, I don't want to say Republican or conservative politicians, um, but this is this is why, and we could see it from both sides of the aisle, this is why George W. Bush, his father, and John Kerry belonged to Skull and Bones in college, and why a lot of politicians belong to that. That was a secret society. And what Skull and Bones means is I have the brain, so I have the neocortex, and I have the art complex, but I don't need the heart. I can operate without the heart. So it's just as I think, so I act. As I think, so I act. And it's a, it's a huge process. You can totally get stuff done and you can take out the emotion aspect of it. So you don't have to feel. So to them, they Feeling can, just weighs them down. Nothing from, weighs them down. They're not going to weigh down with the sacred feminine, which is the emotions. Um, so with this R complex, when it becomes, when you almost become in this left side dominant, it will actually physically almost shut down the limbic system where you stop processing emotions. Um, we see this with even the training of individuals for the military. This is why it's a six-week process and not a seven-week process, is they literally are training you to almost shut down your limbic system and just take orders, do the command. Take orders and do the command. You're not supposed to feel any way about it. That's kind of what the whole process of boot camp is. Which is why people struggle when they come back. I mean, I know people talk about the brotherhood from what they learn right? Uh, in, in the process of being in, in some sort of military uh, organization. But I think once you try to reintroduce that aspect that was not there in right. the first place, it's hard for them to, right. and to they struggle. let it in. Right. You know what I mean? And that could be, you know, your emotions as people would say, oh, well, it's hard for me to like 
think that way, but you already were conditioned that way before you even, right. you know, took uh, place into whatever you did within this organization, you know, um, then when you're done with it, they kind of left you sort of to fend for yourself without right. that right. middle ground. And that's why, and unfortunately, and that's why these individuals who have so much good that they can give, and it's so terrifying to say, that's why most of our military casualties are now self-inflicted self-inflicted after they leave the military. There's more suicides and there's death than combat. That's a huge problem. And that has to go down with what's going on, what kind of conditioning is happening right. in those to get that outcome. Um, so when we have the left side of the archon, well, the left side of that neocortex, which is that, so that top um, circle or the diagram, right? When that becomes dominant, it just shoots information right down to the R complex. Um, now, it's flip side. If the feminine side of the neocortex, that right side becomes dominant, something else happens. It will actually shut down the R complex. So when you are right side dominant, you get caught up into your emotions. And this is what happens when we have depression. Um, this is when we see drug addiction. This is somebody who has almost lost the will to better themselves because they're so stuck in that right side of their brain. Um, this is also where we'll see like fundamental religious people who believe that where, let's say the left side of the brain believes that it's just the five senses and nothing matters. This right side believes everything in the universe has already been determined. So this is when they say like, there's nothing I can do. God has already written the story for everybody. So there's nothing that I can do with free will wise that can change the outcome. This is what God wants. This is what's going to happen. Right? So we have this huge polarity that's going to happen. And these individuals often will suffer from, like we said, depression or some kind of addiction um, where they lose the will to actually better themselves. So we see what happens when that that tyrant king takes over and that you become either left side or right side dominant, the effects that it's going to happen on the individual. And we can see this play out with individuals that we've seen. That's why to be an individual, and when we talk about etymology, um, the word individual is a Latin word, and it comes from dividare. So dividare in Latin means to divide. to divide, exactly. So individare, or individual, means not divided. So to be a sovereign individual means you are not divided between the two hemispheres of your brain. Um, so that's why it's so important, and it's something that you always have to keep watch on. And we talked about that kind of in the first podcast, and we really want to bring it up you constantly want to be the watcher of yourself. You almost want to watch yourself like a snake. Like, have you ever seen a snake watch its prey? It just watches and it's, again, it's emotionless. And you almost want to be like that. You almost, when you're watching yourself in the, the study of knowing thyself, you watch yourself like a snake and you watch how you react. You watch how you correspond with people, right? Or like, who's, who really said that? Why did Why did I react that way? You know, and when you start really watching yourself, you can start seeing where, that tyrant king is making himself right, a parent. Right. Uh, you know, we were just talking about this. And again, it's nothing, this is a lifelong struggle. Not, I don't want to say a struggle because it's a journey and it's it's a pleasure to be on the journey. Um, but you're constantly checking yourself. You're never done with this work of walking that middle path. No, I never, I mean, you're being tested all the time. Actually, I have to jump in and say that what you're explaining and for those listening, um, I will do this where I will interrupt Daniel because I get so excited of moments in my life that I can relate to this and not to make this about me. It's just my way of expressing a vulnerability or showing 
uh, a different as or a different angle to the point you're making. But I'll never forget. I was driving in traffic, and in the rearview mirror, I saw probably about 30 cars be- behind me. Um, a man in a truck driving erratically. And I said, oh, it's only a matter of time. So he gets closer and closer to me. And one of the things that he's doing, as I'm saying this out loud to my fiance, I'm saying, wow, this guy, this guy, this guy, I could sense in my blood or in my heart rate, I was already ready for the conflict to happen, which is me going and looking at him through his window to be like, who is this guy who's disregarding all of us humans in traffic by taking the bike lane? And that's what he was doing. He was coming up fast onto the lane that's mostly for cars to pull off for safety. And without saying anything else other than what is this guy doing, my fiance, again, a female, uh, inter- interjected. So when he got close enough to the window, I turned my head to my right, which is where I would see him. And when I turned to my right, to my surprise, my fiance threw her body physically in front of the window. Um, even though she was right to, next to me in the passenger seat, she threw her eyes into my eyes. And when my eyes locked in her eyes, she says, hi. And the guy blew right past us. And I lost my opportunity to engage with the art complex. And I remember looking at her and I said, God, I love you so much. (laughs) And she started laughing because she's like, well, I knew what you were about to do just based on your voice. You just really wanted to engage in that negativity. Um, So she's like, so I thought I'd just kind of throw myself in there. And the reason I bring this story up is it, you're talking about looking at yourself with, you know, meticulous observation and that moment never really got away from me because I realized what I was doing is I was really feeding into this part of my brain willingly. And she caught it with enough time to say, well, I'm going to stop this because it's not really important or it's not important for us to be engaged in that. And ever since then, I've always watched myself carefully enough to say, well, why do I need to react or engage into this? You know, it's not like I was going to like get to that guy and be able to talk to him and roll the window down and like, say, you know what, what you're doing is unfair. That wasn't going to happen. Right. But there was something in there that I wanted to, uh, again, engage in that was thankfully because of her, Lindsay, uh, I was able to, to avoid. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's, it's important to sort of watch yourself or be the observer of yourself, um, during those, those times where, does this really matter? Does this really have to be a part of my life in this, in this moment? And, um, anyway, so like I said, I don't mean to like interrupt, but I just, when you're talking about this, I just completely go back to times where I'm like, you know, these were my choices, you know, to engage or not engage in. And I think overall I can explain myself in that situation, which is like, I am a male, you know, and I do care for the safety of my wife and I do care for other people. So in that moment, it just became a moment of caveman to caveman. I saw him coming up and I was like, oh, I got to like put down my, you know, stance on this erratic behavior that he's causing. But, you know. Right. They both pick up your clubs and you're just like making a bunch of noise. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's, um, and it's interesting too, because, you know, we kind of talked about that today, recently too, um, Misery loves company, and it was your fiance who was had the higher perspective to be like, if you engage with this individual, you're doing exactly what they want. Right. 
she was had the higher perspective of being like, don't give in to this individual. You right. know, they want he's banging his club and he wants you to bang your club. But if you don't, he's going to look really silly, you know. And that's something that's one of the big aspects of when you're able to um, when you're able to watch yourself. And unfortunately, I'm more of a reactionary and watch myself. I I do something stupid and I think about it later that day, and I'm like, oh, I could have done that a hundred times better, you right? Know? Um, but you do you see these aspects where you're like, man, I just that person was playing in the mud. Instead of walking by, I dove straight into that mud with that individual, you know, and now they have company and they're like, oh, I guess we're both muddy. And you're like, crap, I, this is the last thing I wanted to right. do. Um, so yeah, watching yourself in social situations, watching yourself in personal situations. Um, it's so, so important. So really, you know, when we're, we're talking about this, it's again, we're always on the watch to make sure we are, living that balanced life between that left side and that right side. And when we are in that balanced life, the true king is in charge. Um, And that's really something we kind of want to focus on. And when we talk about symbolism, this is why, so the left side of the brain, which we said was the male aspect and the right side of the brain, which is the female aspect, if we can actually visually kind of think about it, symbolically what this is going to represent is the left side of the brain is actually an upward triangle and the right side of the brain is a downward triangle. So what we have is the the right side, the left side of the brain, we almost call it the phallic symbol. And that's that upright, the upright pointing one. And then the female is that inverted triangle. And when you actually put these together, you get something that we were talking about Buddhism being the middle path, but now we can see it come up in a different religion. And one of the things we really want to study with esoteric understanding is when you see one principle or one topic that has an esoteric principle, you're going to see it come up in all the religions. And we're going to see when we put those two together and they live on on top of each other, you have the six-pointed star, which is also the star of David in Judaism. Mm -hmm. And that's really what that is actually expressing is the balance between the left and the right side of the brain. Um, because that's the true path and that's really what's the seal of Solomon. And that's what gets you into heaven. And that's really saying a balanced brain is going to be heaven. Cause if you don't live in an unbalanced brain and the tyrant King is here and he's ruling over you, you're going to be in hell. Um, so again, when we think about symbolism, um, we have the child that we have the, um, phallic symbol for that upward facing triangle and then the chalice which is the inverted triangle and literally what that also represents is the phallic is the male penis Mm -hmm. and the chalice is the vagina the womb so it's not only is it a physical thing that we can actually symbolically see but it has bigger aspects to it right um so when we really kind of start breaking that down like when we talk about so the left side of your brain is the sun and the right side of the brain is the moon the female energy and the sun. And that's also why we have the seal of Solomon. So Solomon, if we break that down, Sol in Latin is sun, O is and, and then Mon, we add a letter to that and that's moon. So it's literally the sun and the moon. So we're going to see this through so many different aspects of religion, symbolism, and actually even through stories, you're always going to see the interplay of the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. This is the same situation with the yin yang, um, the 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 um two if you ever look at Freemasonry the two pillars of Freemasonry the Kabbalah you're always going to see the interplay between the yeah the sun and the moon or the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain um 
And super, super important for us to kind of understand that this is not just limited to Buddhism. This is not just limited to Freemasonry. This is going to be, again, a topic that's covered in all of those religions. And that's why it's kind of such an important thing for us to kind of process and understand. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I know one thing that we, we've discussed about is that I know that we've kind of uh, got out of touch with this over the, the past couple centuries at least. But, I mean, how is and how was this presented in ancient times? You know, I know that you and I talked about before children would go to school, if they were, you know, uh, part of a family of farmers and they were going to make the distance of the trek to walk all the way to whatever um, academic establishment was available to them in their small town, the father or the mother were in charge of teaching their kids how to think for themselves first before. Mm -hmm. um, and I might be getting ahead of myself here with this topic, but I'm just saying, what are some of the things that they were doing then to prepare people to emotionally understand themselves. Cause it sounds like, I mean, go, going back to the King before I talk about, um, you know, peasants who would teach this to their children before they would go and become educated. Um, is that I'm sure that the, the individuals that worked with the King or when they were preparing the Prince to be King would probably teach them these, um, these, these, not attribution, but th these ways of thinking so right. that that way they would understand like, yeah. and I, I know they could use it also for manipulation, sadly too, where they can say, oh, well, that other side is weak. Right. That feeling that which you feel see, is weak. Which you we need see to, very much in our right, society. You need to focus yeah. on this, which right. is more the analytical that we're talking about right. um, and, and worry less about the emotion because right. then you won't be able to, let's say in those times, run a country. So like, what were they doing back then to, to sort of, you know, um, present this to, to individuals? Yeah, that's a good question because um, psychology really wasn't like in a textbook like we'd find now. It's going to be more told through allegories. So an allegory is any story that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. And, you know, we can just kind of take a look. If, we, if you actually created that diagram or you have a good mental picture of that diagram, let's just look at those three tiers, right? We have the NR complex, the limbic system, and the neocortex. The art complex we've already decided was the reptilian brain. Right. So this is why in the fairy tale, the knight is going to go down to the dungeon, defeat the dragon. Okay. This is just the conquering of your art complex. This just really means discipline. This is the individual starting to wake up early, work out his body, taking care of his nutrition. Um, you know, any aspect that's going to better the physical body. So this is what it means when he's actually going down to tame the dragon and also take care of those caveman emotions that we were talking about earlier that rise up, right? Because that dragon, you can tame it, but you never you never want to kill it because it's still going to power your body. And it's still going to help you get up early in the morning to conduct maybe working out or bettering yourself with study, right? It's going to give you that energy to do those things, to eat better. So you don't kill the dragon, you tame the dragon. So this is why the, the, the knight is going to go tame the dragon. And then he climbs the tower to save the princess. So what that means is once you get your discipline under control, you reconnect with your emotions. And this is why the, the, the princess is always kept in a high tower. Because you do, you have to climb to your highest emotions. You don't want base emotions. You want to take and get to the highest aspect of your emotions, which right. is a process in itself. And that's kind of why we're going to really get into the subject of alchemy. Because alchemy really looks at 
taking a emotion and taking it to its highest its highest um form almost um you know this is why lust taking lust and turning it into inspiration right this is just taking a base emotion and making it better for the highest aspect of yourself so the knight climbs a tower to save the princess and then he rides off with his princess intact happily ever after and that's when you travel down that middle path and the king has been restored so we're going to see that in an allegory and so many different stories so we're going to again that story is going to be told through every culture whether it's in asia australia even the north american plains with the native americans um but we're also going to see that in more of a modern day study too so this is going to be why um this is why certain movies really stick into your brain and are so, I would I, call, I like to say the word piercing because it almost like gets into your brain and will never leave. And this is why a story like The Wizard of Oz is so important. And we'll do an entire podcast on The Wizard of Oz. We probably have to take it to like two or three episodes. Oh yeah, no, I can't wait. <laughs> it's the best. Um, but this is exactly why when Dorothy finds herself in Oz, um, this is why she meets the individuals in the order she meets them in. If you remember, and I, have to ref- I can refresh your memory if it's been a while, um, this is why she meets the Scarecrow first, because that's her thoughts, and then the Tin Man, which needs a heart, so that's your emotions, and then the Lion, which is your action. So there's a reason why she met them in that order. And even if you watch that movie, um, in the beginning, they're not all walking in a straight line. They're kind of falling all over each other. One's walking in front of the other, and it's not until they're towards the end of the movie that they're actually walking in a line together, um, which is so important. Um, and it's so important that this is the first time that she's actually seen color because she's going through that spiritual process of awakening, realizing that she does have thoughts, emotions, and actions. And it's that aspect of putting them in order in the correct order. And a kind of a funny tidbit about that movie is, um, and again, we'll kind of break that movie down because from the color of the road to the color of the slippers to what the actual Wicked Witch of the West represents. All amazing talking points for the allegory of our lives. Um, one thing that um, Mark Passio, who did a lot of research on this, points out, and I really want to stress this, is there's only one character that gets two songs in that movie, and that's the lion. And I think that's very important because action is one of the hardest things to put into motion because we can think and feel what is right um, for our lives or what we really should do. Because inside we... Th- can actually feel and know really what we should be doing, but actually making that action apparent and actually putting that action into motion is the hardest part. And that's why Frank Baum put that with two songs in that point, because he really wanted to show like you, you can think and feel accordingly, but if you're not putting in that into action, you're not putting it out into the physical world. You're not manifesting that action. You're really not completing the process. So that's why it was so, so important. Um, so that allegory is going to make itself apparent in so many different things. This is why always, too, the main character will always have usually a male um, person come in, but it also could be a female character who kind of has these male traits of training the individual. So Luke Skywalker in Star Wars has Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? This is the older man who teaches him how to use the lightsaber. This is physically him teaching him how to use his physical body. And what the lightsaber actually represents is like the male energy. That's why it kind of gets erect when you touch it. It's really like the erect penis. Um, because how do you use your sexual energy as a male? Very important. This is the difference between when you ever see Egyptian 
statues, does the snake come out of the chest? Does the snake come out of the waist? Or does the snake come out of the forehead? Where are you using that sexual energy? Is it all for sexual gain? Is it all for lust? Or is it actually for using it through your third eye? Because it's all the same energy. It just depends what channel you're putting it through. So that's what the lightsaber... So that's Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Um, In the Matrix, this is going to be Morpheus. Morpheus is who teaches Neo Kung Fu, right? So that's the R-complex. These are the the individuals that are going to be teaching you how to use that R-complex. You can almost say, I would say in Lord of the Rings, this could almost be Gandalf teaching Frodo... You know, you have to go on this journey. Get yourself disciplined. You're about to go on this journey. That character is always going to have a female character as well. So in Star Wars with Luke Skywalker, it's going to be Princess Layla. And again, this doesn't have to be so much the um, like the sexual relationship. This is always just going to be the emotion. Who's going to wake up the individual's emotions, right? Princess Layla plays that part in Star Wars. In The Matrix, it is Trinity. And a lot of times that emotion is going to make the introduction into, that's the reason why the character is going to meet that trainer. So like Trinity finds Neo and takes him to Morpheus, right? It's not until Luke Skywalker sees that diagram that comes out of RTD2 that he finds Obi-Wan Kenobi because she's she's trying to send a message to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So the emotions are always going to kind of bring you back to be like, oh, I need to get control of this. Right. Right. And then as that story progresses, we see that individual climb that ladder, climb that tower to get, become the hero. And that's going to be the balanced neocortex. This is the exact reason why Neo's name is neocortex. Like it's neocortex off of, based off of Neo. Um, so that's why they use that name. Um, super, super important because that's all that it is. It's just a breakdown of your mind. So we're going to see this in ancient ancient philosophy, ancient stories, all the way up to our modern allegories. And the reason why we're retelling these stories is because this is the story of you. So when you see this story play out on the screen, yeah, you might be enamored with like the explosions and the crazy Kung Fu and stuff and Chewbacca because he's like awesome. But that's not really the main reason right. what's really pulling you into that because if you think about it, there's a lot of crazy movies. Like there's a reason why like Die Hard 10 has double the explosions, but not the same fanfare, right? Because the merit's not there. This is why there's a bunch of different sci-fi movies out there that don't have the following that Star Wars does. This is why Star Trek has a crazy following because it has esoteric principles within it. Again, the great directors know this, and this is why they kind of splice their movies with this stuff. This is what separates a Michael Bay film from a Steven Spielberg film, right? Yeah, Steven Spielberg, we were just talking about how he always will describe the um, the issues that, um, and I think he's open about it, and you can see this for yourself, but he'll talk about the issues he went through as a child with the absence of his father. Mm. And him being picked on in school. And and a lot of people have been able to break down a lot of movies as to why, you know, you like something like Back to the Future. You know, you have the prevailing, um, you know, uh, uh, I wouldn't call him a nerd, but I think in the movie, if you've seen Back to the Future, you'll see, and I don't want to give too much away if you haven't, but you will see things that are very subtle, but they're very powerful. In this case, you have Michael J. Fox trying to make sure his mother and father meet so he doesn't disappear, but he also finds out that his father doesn't have, you know, a hard bone in his body. And he's trying to teach him like, look, for you to win over 
this woman, you have what it takes. And if you set your mind to it, anything can be accomplished. But he's constantly having to uh, come across an art complex uh, individual, which is uh, the bully in the movie. But you'll see this in a lot of movies where Steven Spielberg puts himself into that or parents who are arguing or a uh, father um, that wasn't there. Um, he describes his childhood and then you'll see a lot more movies will make sense as to like why he's trying to right. make the hero uh, in the movie also um, understand the process of, of what he's missed out on and either in his childhood or in his process of becoming the hero. It's like, oh, there's a couple things I need to address, you know, with the female uh, roles in the movie or um, – yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go off too much again on a tangent, but I, 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 you're absolutely right. They, they do make these, these scenes like you said, Die Hard, and not to go on a, on a tangent, but Die Hard. But I just watched a breakdown on Netflix about the movie Die Hard and how it didn't almost get greenlit, but in the end, why it became a success is so many more people could relate to the man who is just trying to get home to his wife. Right. And that's really what the movie is: is that he's just trying to and really. That's, and that's like the difference between the first one, probably, and like the the rest one. of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. And I think that's so true. We need to have those like unifying and those tying things. What are the overarching themes of this movie? It can't just be explosions. There has to be. Right. That's why there's always going to be like a love story or some, something that you can connect to on a, a deeper level that's going to um, almost tie you in, you know? So, um, but yeah, when you bring up Back to the Future, I think that one's super interesting because you have an individual, um, because I really think that character Biff could also be seen as representing a, that tyrant brain that we were talking about. Right. You know, when one thing... That happens too when that brain loses control is you become very negative. And a lot of times our biggest adversary is ourselves. You know, we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we can do this. We don't think we can do that. And really Satan, which is Satan, and he in Islam literally was your adversary. So it was the thing that's working against you. And a lot of times that's ourselves. Um you know, and that's something we have to work our way through. So it really wasn't this this idea of the Christian devil really didn't come around until after the Crusades, because that was always seen as something that's just working against your better self. This is also why um, the the term sin, right? Like, oh, that's a sin. Sin is actually an archery term, and the sin is the distance you did miss, the distance your shot missed the bullseye on. So if you're way off, that's the sin curve. So all that is is where the bullseye is and where your arrow actually land. So if you sinned, if you didn't actually hit the bullseye. So again, your adversary, which we can almost say is Biff in that story, right? What's working against you? What are your fears? And how do you overcome your fears? Well, you overcome your fears through self-knowledge and understand what am I actually good at? What am I actually capable of? And that's kind of this whole process of self-identification and self-empowerment. And that's kind of why we're working. That's why we did this whole podcast, Know Thyself. You know, expanding that consciousness, seeing what our good traits are and not going blind to what we need to work on, you know, because we all need to work on something. And as you conquer one thing, you find another thing that you need to work on. It's that constant process. But one thing we really kind of want to talk about in this podcast is, you know, it's not about like Jordan Peterson says this very well. It's not about comparing yourself to somebody today. It's about comparing to yourself yesterday. As long as you always are taking those little steps to defeat that bully Biff or take down Darth Vader yourself. Right. You know, that's what this is all about. And that's kind of why we've 
yeah. started this whole podcast. Better, bettering yourself. I like that you said that about Jordan Peterson. I remember one of the things he's talked about is just like start start simple with just cleaning your room. Oh, right. Just Such clean, creator, your, just clean your room. And, and I know that there's a lot of people out there who want to say, well, that's irrelevant, you know, like I'm doing these other things and it's 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 fine. No one's saying that, you know, it's going to solve all your problems to clean your room. But if you feel that there's chaos or disorder in your life already as it is start with the basics that you can control and fix and just see how everything follows suit because it will right um which is uh, it's again it sounds basic but yeah jordan peterson's great i really do admire how he puts things into that perspective well i think too one of the cool things about this eddie and i think what why we can have these conversations and not even have to plan these conversations is because most of this information is basic you know and that's again why we talked about why why so many kids drop out of psychology or never go past this psych 102 from 101? Because it's too complex. Like, why do I need to learn every aspect of the brain, right? Keep it simple, make it applicable, and then you can actually make those changes happen. So I agree with you when he talks about, you know, cleaning your room, how important that is to start small and then make your way to get better, you know? And I love how he even talks about, you know, you make your room beautiful because if you're in a beautiful surrounding, you can start seeing what's ugly. And a lot of times our ugliness is coming from ourselves and it's how we view ourselves, how we're putting ourselves down because you are most of the time you're your worst critic. You know, um, it's great to be humble and it's great to be severe and really hold yourself to a high standard, but it's very easy to turn that and be that adversary where you're always beating yourself down and you're never seeing what's actually good about yourself. And that could be, like we said, that's that tyrant King has taken rule and it's really, getting back to that balance, getting the CEO back in place, the proper CEO, so you can actually start conducting as I think, so I feel, so I act. So one thing I wanted to go go over really quick too is um, with that triune brain, I don't want to miss this point because we're going to kind of come back to that, but that's very much the Trinity as well. So the Father, Mother, and the Holy Son. So the Father is that thought, that's your neocortex. The mother is the limbic system, and then the holy son is the R complex. And that's literally the father and the mother give birth to the son. So your thoughts and your emotions give birth to your actions, and those are what we see in the physical world. And that's why Christianity was the religion of the holy son, because Christianity was all about doing good and sharing it with other individuals. If you ever see, uh, you can go into like a Catholic store or even like a, we have a, we're blessed because we live in the Southwest. We have great Latin American grocery stores, the best grocery stores in the world. I think Um, Mm -hmm. love them going to look at their prayer candles. If you ever look at Jesus's heart, it's always a 3d heart. It's always actually coming at you. And that's because the process esoterically, what Christianity represented was taking enlightenment and sharing it with your neighbors. Christianity was all about brotherly love. Every religion has its important aspect that it shares. Christianity was just the end of it. So Buddhism was all about finding enlightenment with yourself. Um, Hinduism was about just being able to find enlightenment, right? But Buddhism was kind of came along to show that like you don't even need a religious organization. You can actually just find it by yourself. Christianity really is going to come around to show you that you actually – Take that enlightenment and you share it with the outside world. And that's what the Holy Son is all about. It's about the action of doing this. And this is why um, 
Christians are very charitable when it comes to their religion, and they're very good at setting up charities and doing that kind of work because it's a tenet of their religion. Now, every religion has amazing tenet aspects to them. That's just one of them that Christianity really holds true, and it's uh, I think it's like often overlooked. So that Holy Son, again, this is just the the Holy Son. This is your literally your actions that go out into the world and how important your actions are, and you want to almost bless your actions just like the prophet Jesus Christ did. And that's really kind of what that story, although there's a million stories that kind of come from the story of Jesus Christ, that's one of the big ones that they would want to take out when you look at the esoteric understanding of religions and how every prophet kind of raises a different level of consciousness. He was really looking at expanding brotherly love consciousness, and that's that trinity. So as I think, so I feel, so I act. That's again, just your neocortex, limbic system, art complex, wow. always in that order. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we can kind of see the uh, the evidence of it. And again, this is not our information. This is um, This is just information that we have researched and come across. These are not our conclusions. Thankfully, people for millennia have been studying this and they've probably done a better job presenting it, but we're just trying to uh, pass on the information. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh you know, I know it's a lot of stuff that we cover in all these podcasts, but one of the greatest things that, you know, we we have an opportunity to to explore is you know, making this better, making this more of a understandable topic through you. So, you know, like whoever's out there listening, you know, again, I know Daniel's been working on putting the blog together. You know, don't be afraid to suggest how we can expand on one or many topics that we went over in one episode of the podcast. And I know we're going to make um, our rounds and come back to these topics. Yeah. So, uh, but no, well said, man. I think this is, uh, this is just a start, you know, and this is something that I had to understand for myself talking to you and other people, especially when I did take psychology. I was one of the fortunate individuals who had a psychology teacher who was just amazing, who did actually get me to take two different psychology classes shortly after. And I didn't need him for my degree even. I just was so fascinated by the way he was basically aiding me in the process of my emotions so how i was feeling and then how i was thinking and how i was not combining them well enough or how i was combining them well enough or how i was leaning into one over another and it really put a lot of things not in perspective for me only but also allowed me to carry myself throughout the day with a lot more clarity so yeah and i hope what? that that's what you guys can get you know yeah and good point there you know what i mean because I did, I did make a blanket statement um you know there is amazing teachers out there who do kind of give more of a holistic understanding of this information. So tip our hat to them because I know there's few and not few and far between, but they never will get the, they'll never get recognized for that in our modern day academics. It's only going to be through their students being better individuals. Um, and that's kind of what a true teacher is all about anyway. So I also think they wait too long. And I think we'll talk about that in another podcast, but you know, I know you and I have talked about this, but why don't we, um, why isn't psychology taught, um, at a younger age. And I don't mean like, let's just go deep into Freudian like theories at, you know, grade level three. What I'm saying is, you know, individuals already at a young age, you know, in their formative years are starting to feel and act and think. Right. So why not give them just a little bit of that? You know, I hope that that's something that, and you as a teacher can explain or elaborate more on this, but I hope that that's something that is going on right now that parents can either 
And, and again, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably at home right now. And if you're home right now, this is uh, during the time where we're all home right now. So, you know, hopefully you can maybe even use some of these um, these uh, theories or these these conversations that we're having to maybe you can have with your own kid that they'll relate to, which is why I think everyone can watch a movie together as a family, whether you're 30 or 7 if the story that's been told that relates to all of us is the true story that's being told, then we all can relate to it. And then we all walk away going like, I love star Wars. And then you're like, Oh, my kid and I really get along now. And it's like, well, you know, there's more going on than just the characters. Right. You know, it is, it's so, it is crazy to think about that. We teach our high schoolers pre-calc and, you know, they take these crazy, awesome zoology courses and, I, I I didn't know anything really about philosophy until I actually went overseas and was studying. I took that semester in Australia when I took a introduction to philosophy course. And that was after one year of, you know, university in the States. And I was not even really aware that this was still a subject that we could talk about, you wow. know, so it's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it opened up a whole thing. It opened up like a whole can of worms for me. And um, yeah, it's just so interesting that we don't study psychology. We don't study philosophy. Or we do, and it's an elective. And yeah, I mean, I think we could talk all day about the education yeah. system. But um, again, we tip our hats to the good teachers out there for fighting the good fight. And um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I think this was a good way to kind of wrap this up. I like how you brought up the thing about please communicate with us through the website, um, any requests. One thing we're going to really work on, Eddie is an amazing videographer, so we're going to be making actually – you're too kind. We're going to be making actually videos, So especially for like a subject like today. um, Usually, like if I would have ran into you at a bar, I would have been doing this all on a napkin and like yelling in your ear about this. And people are like, oh, I get this, like when I'm drawing it on a napkin. So we're actually going to make videos of this stuff because sometimes even they're super simple – just seeing that visual aspect of it, um, especially like when I'm like talking about triangles and you're driving, you're like, what are you doing to me, Daniel? Um, but it will make it a little easier. So those will be kind of short videos. So say we bring up a topic that you're like, I'm not completely sure what that is. We'll probably have like a five minute video on those topics. And mm-hmm. that's what we're going to try to produce too. So yeah, I will have Eddie say the cyanides to you, but thank you so much for talking to us today and look forward to hearing and speaking with you guys soon. Yeah. Again, this is uh, Eddie Manteca and Daniel Pawinski signing off on the Know Thyself podcast. Again, this podcast is to better yourself and to better ourselves. So therefore, the reality that we step into every day just feels more aligned with what we really feel, not really what we've been told and and really making an educated uh, decision for ourselves um, that I think aligns with, with something that's more truthful than than we all could have expected so anyways um until the next uh episode thank you very much for listening till next time till next time